0: If you've got your copy of scripture, if you'll turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter three, and we're going to continue on in our series of big questions and real answers. Um, One of the big questions that people have all the time that maybe you've heard about is, is there an unforgivable sin? Is there something that you can do that would keep you from being able to be in a relationship with Jesus to be forgiven of your sins and be out of heaven? Now, this has become part of our culture. We've heard this. We use this as unpardonable sin, unforgivable sin. And people use that for a lot of different things. And if you ask someone, what's the unforgivable sin? You never know what answer you might get. For some people, they would say it's suicide. Some people, they say it's homosexuality. For my mom, it was if you put a glass on her table without a coaster. And, and here's the thing, if you left it on there long enough and it put a ring on the table, you were marked out of her book of life. It was over. But everybody has an opinion, everybody has a, an idea of what they think the unforgivable sin is and Jesus is gonna talk about it today. Jesus is gonna help us understand what this really looks like and I, I think what'll happen as we kind of unpack this, you'll find out that what we've thought about it isn't true. What people have said about it isn't true. And so I want to define, uh, before we get into this, and we'll kind of talk about it in a little bit, what blasphemy really is. Blasphemy is something that's found in the Old Testament. It's very clear. Blasphemy is speaking evil against God. It's cursing God. It's defaming God. It's, you know, to saying that God causes evil. And Jesus says, well, there's a difference between that and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to find out what that is today. So let's look. Jesus is going to give us an example of what to look for. And he's going to explain and give us a warning on how not to avoid blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let's look in Mark chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 20. Now before we get here, let me give you some context. Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been healing, he's been doing all sorts of miracles. And right before we get to this today, Jesus actually picks the 12 apostles, calls them to him to follow him, and then he goes back home. And that's what we're going to pick up today. It says, he came home and the crowd gathered to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people, and that should be family, when his own family heard of this, they went out to take custody of Jesus, for they were saying, Jesus has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem um, were saying, Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Jesus called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables, saying, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, it cannot stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent word to him and called called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, Jesus said, who are my mother and brothers? Looking around those who are in the room, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and my brother and my sister and my mother. It's very powerful that Jesus steps into or allows this situation to use it to be a teaching moment. And so we got to ask two questions as we unpack what's happening here. What is blasphemy? And why is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit unforgivable? Now, I've already kind of introduced this, but blasphemy is speaking evil of God. It's slandering God. It's defaming God. It's detracting from God. It's cursing God. In fact, this is such a a powerful thing that can happen in the Old Testament. The punishment for blasphemy was death. Now, here's a little tidbit for you. This is just extra. It won't cost you anything. Do you know that when Jesus was being uh, tried to, to be crucified, do you know what they tried Jesus of and convicted him of? Blasphemy, good job. Jesus was tried and convicted as a blasphemer because he said, I'm God. I'm equal to God. But the problem for us is that blasphemy hits a little closer to home than we care to. It talks about speaking evil against God. It talks about cursing God. It talks about, you know, saying bad things about God. Here's the problem. Aren't we all guilty of this at some point in time? You ever had a moment where something's happened in your life, some tragedies happened, and you kind of, like Job's family says, curse God and die? God, this is all your fault. Was that really true? How about slander? that's a good one. We're guilty of blasphemy when we slander God, when we say things like there are times when we feel like that God is far away from us and we feel like that God isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. And so here's what we'll say. God doesn't care about me. God's walked away from me. God has left me alone. That's slander because it isn't true. What we have in all of scripture is that God is a kind, compassionate, loving, and gracious father who knows everything that we need before we ever need it. So here's the problem. What you're going to see today is that Jesus's family, his mother and his brothers, the scribes and the Pharisees and us commit Blasphemy. And so this is something that kind of happens and it's part and parcel for being a human being that we, we do these things. We say things that come out of our heart and out of our, and out of our situations that we don't always understand the consequences of that. So blasphemy is speaking evil against God and all of us at some point in time have done this. And so what Jesus wants to differentiate is between blasphemy, regular blasphemy and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, what's the difference? How is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit different? What you're gonna see as we work through this is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is clearly denying the work of God. It's clearly denying the work of God and the call of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus says it here. He tells us, look at verses 28, 29, and 30. He says, truly, I say to you that all sins shall be forgiven you. Even the blasphemies, whatever blasphemy you speak will be forgiven you, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness and is guilty of an eternal sin because, and this is why this is unforgivable, because they were saying that Jesus has an unclean spirit, that he was demon-possessed. And so they were attributing God's work to the devil. Now, why is this unforgivable and an eternal sin? Jesus says all sins can be forgiven, but this one, for some reason, is, is deeper, it's, it's harder, it's harsher. Why, why is this unforgivable and why is it eternal? Well, he tells us that because it's unforgivable and it's eternal because the people are consistently denying the Holy Spirit's call in their life. What you're going to find as we work through this more in just a minute is that Jesus's family was guilty of blasphemy, just like the scribes and Pharisees. Now, they didn't go so far to say that Jesus was demon possessed, but what did they did say? What they did say was that he was crazy. He's lost his senses and we need to take him home because he's embarrassing himself and he's embarrassing us. They both committed blasphemy, but Jesus says, listen, there's something deeper that's happening and I want you to be careful about it. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is consistently denying the Holy Spirit's work and the Holy Spirit's call in their life. One of the things that we see is that there's a huge difference between unbelief and blasphemy. This is an amazing fact. We have Jesus's mother and his brothers here and they're struggling with these things. But ultimately what happens is after the resurrection, we see that all of them come to faith in Jesus. They place their faith and trust in him. In fact, we have two of Jesus's brothers who have authored books in the New Testament, James and Jude. Jude. There's a difference between unbelief and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Unbelief is I don't understand what's going on. I don't see how all this stuff works out. I need clarification. And that's what happened with his family. uh, Blasphemy is something different. What you see with the scribes and Pharisees is that every time that Jesus proves who he is, they reject it. Jesus had been teaching, he had been preaching, he had been healing, and these scribes and Pharisees were saying, This isn't from God. I mean, look at what they offer as proof. He cast out demons? Well, he must be full of demons. And the problem is in John chapter 5, Jesus tells them that that the deep seated problem is they don't listen, that they twist scripture so they don't have to believe. In John chapter five, he says, you search the scriptures thinking in them you have life, but these very scriptures speak about me and yet you won't believe. And so here's what happens. There's a difference between unbelief that's looking for clarification and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that will listen to no answer. They had an answer every time Jesus did something they couldn't explain and it it wasn't from God. Every time that Jesus said something that they think contradicted with the law, they just took the law and twisted it and said, Well, you've broken the law. That's why they could convict Jesus of blasphemy when they were the blasphemers. They were the ones cursing God. They were the ones speaking evil of God. They were the ones playing God. Jesus wasn't playing God, he is God. And so they consistently twist scripture so they don't have to believe. And here's the other scary part of why this is unforgivable and eternal. As you do that, as you consistently reject the Holy Spirit and what he's doing and listening to the words of God, as you do that, it hardens your heart, hardens your heart, and it removes you from forgiveness, the reason it's unforgivable isn't because God doesn't want to forgive you. The reason it's unforgivable is that you don't want to be forgiven. If you listen to the scribes and the Pharisees, every time Jesus offered forgiveness, they said, No thanks. They said, We are Abraham's children and we are Moses' followers. We don't need and we don't want what you have to offer. We're fine. We're fine. As you consistently say no, it hardens your heart and it removes you further and further and further from forgiveness. They were rejecting the only means of forgiveness. Now, for those of you, and I know that this has happened if you've grown up in church or had relation to church at all, you hear about the unforgivable sin and many of us feel like and ask ourselves the question, Have I committed it? I've struggled with my faith or maybe I've made some bad choices or maybe that there's things in my life that aren't fully, I'm fully free from or there's just this, have I committed it? Here's the thing, you don't wake up one morning and decide to commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You just don't wake up and say, you know, today's the day that I'm gonna just rebel and I'm gonna resist and I'm gonna reject and I'm done and it's over. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And here's some good news. If you even question the fact that, have I committed this and how do I not commit this, it's a guarantee that you haven't. Because you know, the Pharisees never asked that question. They never stopped and said, I wonder if I'm resisting God. I wonder if I'm rejecting God. I wonder if I'm rebelling against God. When God was standing in front of them, speaking to them, teaching them, healing in front of them, preaching the good news, and never once did they say, I wonder if I'm rejecting this. They just did. And they got colder and they got colder and they got colder. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of unrepentance. That you never repent. You never confess. You never turn. And the reason it's unforgivable is not because God doesn't want to forgive. You need to hear this. It's not because God doesn't want to forgive you or God can't forgive you. It's you won't ask. Because you don't think you need it. And you don't really want it. See, the struggle for many of us, we may not have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but here's what we have done. We've held on to sin, we've held on to shame, we've held on to fear, we've held on to doubt far too long. Because we have this bad idea that God won't forgive us. Now, we're gonna pick this up in a minute, but I want you to hear Jesus' words in verse 28. All sins will be forgiven. Not some Not a few, not many, not a list, all. All sins will be forgiven. And so many of us struggle because we will never surrender and receive the forgiveness that God willingly wants to give us. You can have victory today, you can have freedom today, you can have healing today if you'll ask. God is willing. Are you? Why is it unforgivable and eternal? Because these people never turn. They continue down the same road that they've been on and there's nothing that will change their heart. There's nothing that will change their mind. They are solidified in the fact that this is not God. It's not God's words. It's not his work and we don't need it and we don't want it. And what happens is they then go into eternity and it's just like we talked a few weeks ago about hell. They go into eternity and that opinion never changes. They keep the same opinion in hell that they had here on earth. It's just more angry. I shouldn't be here. This is all your fault. I hate you. It's not because God is unwilling or unable to forgive, it's they're unwilling and unable to ask and to turn. They never turn, they never seek, they never ask, even in eternity. So let's see blasphemy in action. This may be a little uncomfortable for you because it involves Jesus' family and it kind of was for me too. But so Jesus has been doing all these miracles and teaching and and showing himself to be the Messiah. I mean, just amazing, wonderful, powerful things. And he goes and chooses his disciples to to teach them and to train them and then he's gonna send them out in ministry. And so this is at the peak of Jesus' ministry. I mean, this is the the biggest buzz, and everybody wants to know who he is, and everybody wants to see what's going on. They want to experience Jesus. And I want you to imagine this. It says the crowd, look at it in verse 20, came home and the crowd gathered, and to such an extent they could not even eat a meal. The crowds have come. They are crowding around Jesus. They're, they're just wanting, they're just you know, desiring to, to be near him, to hear him, to see him, to experience him to the point where they wouldn't even let him sit down and eat. Keep talking, Jesus. Keep teaching, Jesus. We, we, we want to hear you. And then listen to this. When his family heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. His own family is committing blasphemy right now because they thought he was crazy. Can you imagine? This is difficult for us because the picture that we have of Mary, Jesus' mom is this faithful, loyal, servant of God who believes totally in her son. I mean, she heard the angel Gabriel. She heard, you know, the Holy Spirit had, had John leap in the womb, you know, her, her cousin's, uh, you know, son. And then she had all these miracles that happened in her life. Why now? Why now does she begin to say, I think Jesus has gone cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. What's happened? Well, I'm thankful that this is in the Bible and you should be too. Have you ever struggled with who Jesus is? You ever struggle to understand how he does what he does? Has there ever been times when you read Jesus or you're trying to experience him in your life and he just doesn't act the way that you think that he ought to? Try being his brother. Try being his sister. He had brothers and sisters. Try being his mother. Jesus was interacting with people in a way that they didn't fully understand. Yeah, they'd heard the prophecies. Yeah, they believed the prophecies, but it's much different when your son grows up and begins to say, I am God. I have the power and the authority to forgive sins. I have the power and authority to bring people back from death. I have the power and the authority to do all the things that I'm doing because I am God. So Jesus has drawn a crowd again. Jesus has drawn a crowd again and his family says, that's enough. We got to step in. I want you to feel that for a moment. Can you imagine being Jesus? All these people crowded around you and it's almost like this would take you back to being in fifth grade. Jesus, your mom's here to get you. And it's not that she's just here to pick you up from your play date. Jesus, your mom thinks you're bonkers and she's here to take custody of you. Did you hear that phrase that it used? This wasn't a, a friendly encounter. This wasn't mom and brothers and sisters bringing brownies to Jesus to check on him at college. This was, we are coming to get you, to take custody of you because you have lost your mind. Tough situation, huh? They were committing blasphemy because they were questioning his ministry. This, this can't be of God. And then, on top of that, it's almost like they seized this opportunity. The scribes and Pharisees jumped in. Look at what happens. His family shows up, gonna take custody of him because they think he's crazy. And in verse 22, the scribes and Pharisees came down from Jerusalem and they were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebub. He cast out demons by the ruler of the demons and he called them to himself and began speaking in parables. So here's what they do. The Pharisees believed that he was demon possessed and so here's the point that they try to make. All this good stuff that you think he's doing, all the good things that he's saying and healing people, all of it's a smokescreen. It's all a smokescreen. It's Satan in disguise trying to trick you to believe in this guy and not believe in God. And they were committing blasphemy. They were questioning his ministry in every turn saying, this isn't God, this isn't God, this isn't God. I want you to put yourself in that place for one moment. To, to experience what's happening in Jesus' life there are so many people there. They are crowded together. There's a throng of people. You can almost feel it pulsating that they were so close around him and so excited to see him and to hear him and in the middle of that as he's trying to tell them who God is and what God wants for their life, his family shows up and said, you're crazy. And the scribes and Pharisees are screaming he's demon possessed. Pretty difficult situation. I don't know about you. But I don't think I would react too well if somebody jumped up in the middle of my sermon and say, You're demon possessed. I don't think I would respond really well if my family was waiting outside the door to take custody of me and take me home because I'd lost my mind. But what does Jesus do? What was Jesus' response to this? Well, he answered their accusations. In fact, what you see is someone who's in absolute control over themselves and the entire situation. He calls them to himself and he began speaking to them. He said, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's finished. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder, uh, plunder his property until he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. He was completely under control. He was completely composed. How in control would you be? How in control would you be if someone was calling you crazy? Not someone, your mom, your brothers, your sisters. And on top of that, there's a chorus of voices saying, no, no, he's not crazy, he's demon-possessed. I don't think I would handle it too well. I definitely wouldn't answer the way Jesus did. I probably would stand here and use the microphone that I have to shout down the accusations and prove that I'm innocent, but here's the problem. The more that you try to shout down the accusations, the crazier you look. And so he just answered and he says basically both your claims are absolute nonsense listen to the logic how is this a smoke screen why would satan destroy his own kingdom why would he do that even if he's trying to dupe you but here's the problem every time jesus healed every time jesus taught people in the crowd gave glory to god And said, thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, God, that you're moving and working. Thank you, God. Why would Satan do that? He wouldn't. He wouldn't give up the least bit of his kingdom so that God could have any glory. And so here's what Jesus is trying to get across to his family, to the scribes and Pharisees, and to us. We say so many things about what God is and who God is and what He does, and we slander Him and we commit blasphemy, but here's what God does. In the midst of all that, here's what He's saying. When Jesus comes to that verse in verse 27, He talks about the strong man, and you have to bind the strong man so that you can take His property. Here's what Jesus is saying This is why I'm here. I'm here to bind the strong man, Satan and plunder his property, which is you. Every one of you are in bondage to Satan. He's talking this to his family. He's talking this to the scribes and Pharisees. He's talking to the people in the crowd. He's talking to us today. If we haven't trusted him in faith, every one of you are bound by Satan. You are his property and it is my responsibility to come and take you away from him and set you free. And that's why I'm here. That's my job. And yet, You're doing Satan's work by rejecting my ministry, rebelling against my ministry, and resisting it. So not only does he answer them, but he warns them. He warns them of something much worse to come. Now notice that Jesus doesn't convict his mother or brothers or sisters or the scribes or Pharisees of committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do that. What he says is, be very careful. There's something much worse out there than what you're doing right now, which is bad and punishable by death, but there's something much worse that can happen in your life, and I'm trying to stop you. And what he's saying is this if you continue in what you're doing, if you continue in what you believe, if you're not willing to surrender, you're not willing to ask for forgiveness, there is this cliff that you're gonna fall off of. And Here's the cliff. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness and is guilty of an eternal sin. Here's what Jesus says, listen, you have time to stop. You have time to turn around. You have time to come to your senses. Basically, what Jesus is offering is a very simple understanding of our life. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I think it's a great way for us to understand it. Jesus is basically saying, there are two ways that you can live your life. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. One way is that you say to God, God, your will be done in my life. The other way is for God to say to you, your will be done in your life. And what Jesus is saying is that you're coming to a crossroads because of your unbelief. You are coming to the crossroads because of your rejection and your resistance. That you're ultimately gonna past a brink and you're gonna fall away. And so here's what he's saying. Here's the choice before you that you had to choose today. Whose will are you gonna follow in your life? Whose will? See, we read all throughout scripture and we have these passages about people falling away and they're scary. And, and they, they should be scary to us. The problem is, When we talk about, okay, well, these people have fallen away and they've heard and they've done. The problem isn't that they're falling away. The problem is they can't be restored. And the reason they can't be restored is they've rejected the only means of forgiveness. When people continue in that my will be done and they continue in that resistance and rebellion and they reject the sacrifice of Jesus, what's left for them? See, what we like to think is Jesus is a way. Jesus is part of the way. But no, Jesus is the only way. And if you reject the only way to receive new life and forgiveness, what's left? Death. And so here's what we like to say. Well, I'm not making a choice. You are. When you choose not to make a choice, you've made a choice. And God will not strive with you forever. Because God is doing everything. God has done everything he needs to do to bring you in relationship to him. The only thing he will not do is force you against your will. God will not force someone who does not want to be in heaven with him to be in heaven. God has done everything. He's provided a sinless substitute for your sin who took your place and took your punishment and wiped it clean. God has provided the Bible, God's Word. He's provided the Holy Spirit. He's provided churches for you to hear about these things and be, be educated about these things and be called in these. He's done everything. The only thing He's not going to do is force you. You have to choose what road you're gonna walk. Are you gonna say to God, your will be done? Or is God gonna say to you, your will be done? Now I wanna end with some hopeful and helpful application. Jesus says in verse 28, all sins shall be forgiven. Can we just let that sit for just a moment? I want you to think about this and this should create such joy in your life. All sins shall be forgiven. Notice he doesn't say, well, this sin will, this sin won't. He doesn't say that there's a limit to how many times your sins will be forgiven. He doesn't say, well, listen, if you do this sin and you do it 50 times, the 51st time, there is no forgiveness. Doesn't say that. He doesn't talk about big sins and little sins, that these little sins are okay and these big sins aren't, doesn't say that. Here's what he says. All, 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 all sins shall be forgiven. And we see Jesus act this out in the gospels. He's hanging on the cross He's about to die and he looks out over the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, what Jesus understands is that we don't understand how deep our sin really goes. What Jesus understands that we don't understand is the consequence of the sin that we have in our life. What Jesus understands that we don't understand is the fallout of sin in our life. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, you should think and ask the question, well, these people knew what they were doing. They were killing Jesus. That's exactly what they wanted to do. You're right. But they had no clue what they were doing. This is the beauty of what God is trying to teach us, and this is what Jesus is talking about. You are so messed up in sin that you don't understand the depth of your sin, but he does, and he shows up to get you. And he's gonna forgive all your sin, past, present, and future. And in his forgiveness, he's gonna wipe away all sin, past, present, and future. If you don't hear anything else today, you need to hear this. All your sin can be forgiven today and every day. The only thing that is keeping your sin from being forgiven is you, it's me. Our unwillingness to admit and confess and repent. For some reason, and I don't understand why this happens, but I experienced this in my life. For some reason, we get this idea that when God says all, he means some. That when God says all, he means only the stuff that we've worked really hard to get over. That when God says all, what he really means is, listen, I I want you to work really hard. I want you to carry the burden. I want you to feel ashamed. And that's not true. When God says all, he means all. I didn't realize for a lot of years what grace actually meant. See, I thought grace was Jesus died for me and then I had to work really hard. I had to take the death that Jesus gave for me and work super hard. And so I was here every time the doors were open, I I did everything that I could to show God and everybody else that I was a good person. And so I just heaped on my back all this stuff, and I carried around so much sin and so much shame and so much fear and so much baggage. And every time that I came to church, it just got thrown up in my face all the time. And I just said, God, I don't get it. And he says, Michael, all means all. I've forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. You know, the reality that some of us need to face today is this. God has completely and totally forgiven your sin in Jesus and there is nothing left for you to do except accept it. And for some of us, that's the most difficult thing to do. There is nothing left to be done because Christ has done it all. And I want to say this. I heard this from R.C. Sproul, and it really affected me, and I hope it will to you as well. I've struggled all my life with forgiving myself and believing that God can forgive me. And he said something like this as a paraphrase. He said, God in Christ has fully, freely, and finally forgiven you of all sin." He's wiped it away. He's forgotten about it. He doesn't bring it up. How dare you tell God that's not good enough? How dare you hold that against yourself? How dare you continually bring it up and use it to beat yourself down and to keep yourself in bondage? How dare you? Because the reality is, God doesn't condemn us. God doesn't humiliate us. God doesn't bring these things back up. Who does? Our enemy and ourselves. All sins are forgiven. Here's something else that you need to hear that's helpful. You cannot commit the unforgivable sin with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, three tells us that no one without the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is Lord. And no one with the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is accursed. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you can never commit the sin. Now, can you blaspheme God? Sure, and we do that. But what is Jesus' remedy for blasphemy? Forgiveness. You can never commit this sin. And finally, here's the big hope that we need to hold on to. If someone is still breathing, there's time for them to repent. If you're here today and you're breathing, and I hope that you are, if you're breathing, it's still time for you to repent. It's still time for you to stop and turn and confess and repent and be forgiven it's still time but you know what's funny all that really depends on how you see Jesus his family saw Jesus in a certain way that didn't allow them to find healing and forgiveness till much later The scribes and Pharisees saw Jesus in a certain way, and for some of them, it kept them from seeing who he really is. In fact, it kept them from entering the kingdom. Here's the offer. Your sin can be forgiven today. You've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, why wouldn't you today? He loves you. He's demonstrated his love for you. He's willing to forgive. Just so need to say yes. You know the reality for so many of us is we allow our understanding of who God is to get in the way. I shared this in the first service but I grew up in church, and I thought I understood God really well. And so all of my life until November of 1993, when I was 18 years old, the relationship that I had with God was transactional. God loved me when I did good, and God was unhappy with me when I did something bad. And if your life is a lot like mine, you probably know which side of the fence you were on more than other, Right? I constantly lived with a fear that God didn't love me because there were so many things in my life that didn't fit what he wanted. I wasn't good. On a Wednesday night in November of 1993, I heard what I've been telling you today. And that night, it was like I had been in a desert and somebody gave me a crystal clear cold drink of water. It was what I needed to hear more than anything, and I hope it's what you need to hear more than anything. And here's what I heard. That God has done it all. I can stop trying. I can stop working. I can stop hiding. I can stop pretending. And I can go to him exactly as I am. And in that moment, he's going to take all of the junk that is me. He's going to take it on himself. And then he's going to pour out his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And he's going to make me brand new. And that's what happened. November of 1993, I recognized God has done it all. And that night, at the foot of my bed, I wouldn't even do it at service I was so scared and I went home and, and I've told you before but you know everybody's had that revival service where the revival preacher told you don't, don't leave and don't make the decision and then he tells you the story about the person who left and died. And the whole way home I was freaked out. I drove like five miles an hour. I, you know like the light would turn green and I would look like 20 times before you know it took me an hour to get home and I live like five minutes away. But that night I got on my face and I said God I believe that you've done it all. And I believe that all my sins will be forgiven if I ask. And so I'm asking. What keeps you from doing that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for in the midst of our rebellion and our resistance and our rejection that you come to set us free. That you take control of the person who is controlling us and bring us into healing and redemption and forgiveness. And so I pray today that you would help us to say yes. Say yes to forgiveness. Say yes to healing. Say yes to being used by you. Saying yes to be a part of your church family. Whatever we need to do. Help us to say yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.